Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Live from Grocery Shop here in Las Vegas, it's Kirat Anand back with the Rethink Retail podcast. And with us today, Monica McGurk, CEO of Tropicana and Mainstream Brands at Tropicana Brands Group. Thank you for being here, Monica. Thanks for having me. Excited to be with you. So, Monica, I'd like to just start off with a little bit of your background. You grew up in the agriculture, I would say, industry or business, and you worked your way from your grandfather's assistant, I guess, farmer to salesperson. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah. So I come from family farms on both sides, and I lived literally a quarter of a mile from my grandfather, my, my mom's dad, and my grandmother who farmed. And it was a privilege to get to go sell at his roadside stand. So you had to start out and kind of work your way up in this very enormous family. I had lots and lots of first cousins. So we all kind of would grapple for the opportunity to spend time with my grandfather. And it started out with really um, kind of icky tasks, like picking potato bugs off of potato plants, Maybe you got to run up and down the cornfield and scare the crows away. But when you got good enough and responsible enough, you would get to go with him in his really cool truck and sell corn, vegetables, whatever it was that he had that was in season at the roadside stand with him. I I love the way your grandfather created this sort of competitive spirit amongst all the cousins and the picker of the week got to maybe be the salesperson oh, gosh, next it week. Was, I mean, it was great. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, we all loved it. And then you took a break from the farming and, the, uh, and I guess the food industry, let's call it, to go study government at Harvard. And then I think I read somewhere that while you got your bachelor's, your mom got her associates and your grandma also got a GED. And you guys all yeah. kind of had this graduation together. Is that correct? Yeah, in rapid succession. Education was very valued in my family, but not everyone had an equal opportunity at the time of their childhood to pursue it. So my grandmother was removed from school at a pretty young age, and it was her dream to continue her education and graduate. So it just ended up circumstantially that around the same time, she got to walk to get her diploma. My mom got her associate's degree, and I got my bachelor's degree shortly thereafter. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, how serendipitous. Yeah, yeah. and I can empathize being also a first-generation Indian and kind of empathize with that story. But then you went on, and it, you went to obtain a dual degree, an MBA and a master's at Stanford. Was getting one degree at Stanford not challenging enough? <laughs> they made it very tempting because <laughs> part of the Stanford mission was to encourage cross-fertilization. They're very into interdisciplinary collaboration. So whether it's with the law school and the business school or the engineering school and the business school, they really set up these dual degree programs that you could get concurrently. And I had been dabbling. I would call it dabble because it wasn't a deep length of time or a long length of time. But I'd been working in the arts as um, part of my client service work as an analyst when I was at McKinsey and was really intrigued by arts education. So that was part of what drew me to Stanford was the opportunity to do that. Very interesting. And you brought up McKinsey. So you spent, I'm not going to say how long because we're not going to date you, but you spent some time at McKinsey, made it up the ranks to principal, and then you decided to leave and you 
got the higher calling for mankind to come into the retail industry. Is that true? I I always was curious and interested in being on the other side of the fence, being a doer, not a consultant. Yeah. Never lost that bug and realized at that point in my career, if I didn't make the jump, I would probably never make the jump. And as wonderful as I found my experience at McKinsey, I would have regretted that looking back on my career. So I took the plunge. Almost all of my client service work had been in the retail or CPG arena, mostly food and beverage. So it was something that I was passionate about. It probably taps into my origins in the agricultural industry. So ended up getting back into the industry. Yeah. Very nice. And then I think you started your career in the CPG or beverage industry at Coca-Cola. And I read somewhere about a very interesting test you did while at Coke with Amazon where you sold out of all products within a few hours. Can you help our viewers on how to sell out their products on Amazon within a few hours? I don't know if anyone can replicate that experience. And I should start by saying, I consider that one of my most interesting and greatest learning moments. And other people who were part of that consider it one of their worst experiences. (laughs) Selling out on Amazon. I'll tell you why. And it, it gets to risk profile, I think, of how some people are wired and how I am right wired. So at the time I joined Coca-Cola, there really wasn't much of an e-commerce business. It was very nascent because of the bottling system, which has perpetual territory rights for these independent yes. bottlers, of which there were many at that point in time. Long story short, one of the first projects that I was tasked with was figuring out, is that the right stance? What should we do? We decided to lean in and start to stand up the business. And one of the things that we thought was really interesting about e-commerce and the partnership with Amazon was the ability to test and learn. So we had this brand called Surge, which had been discontinued in the United States many moons ago, but had really, really rabid fans who would go to the extreme of like, putting up a billboard outside of the headquarters asking for the return of Surge. So we figured, wow. yeah, harassing the CEO. <laughs> they really love this brand and they wanted access to it. They were paying enormous amounts of money to ship it from overseas where you could get it. So we thought this is a perfect test case of this part of our package architecture and our vision yeah. for e-commerce. So Yeah, we did a limited run of Surge. We did almost no marketing. We just kind of activated the Facebook fan group and it sold out like that. And then then it became a real challenge from a supply chain standpoint because we happened to be launching during holiday. And the policy at that time was if you were out of stock, you got taken off the website. So we had website down, item off the website, truck and route, turn the truck around. It just became kind of a logistics issue for us. It all worked out great. We learned a lot from it. It informed a lot of our other commercial physical retail strategy. But yeah, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I'm, I'm going to skip over some of the Tyson and Kellogg time, and I'd like to shift now to your current role at TPG Group. And congratulations on Thank completing you. your first year. As you reflect and look back, what are some of the key accomplishments or opportunities Uh, of the first year. Yeah. So I'm really proud and grateful of the team that we've built there. You know, early in, we were still figuring out the operating model. So a year ago, many of the people that are on the team now were not even there, or they were in very different roles. And so we've now got our team staffed up, 
operating in a lean, very highly empowered environment, which is enabling us to move very rapidly to be ready to compete in the marketplace. It's been a challenging year. You know, we've been talking about it here. Inflation, a lot of challenges in retail, a lot of changes in retail. I think commercially, what we're excited about is really the depth of understanding that we now have about our brand's performance, the opportunities, the upside, being able to maintain over a decade of industry leadership, share leadership with Tropicana, our kind of our flagship brand, but also seeing the resurgence and growth of some of the smaller, more emerging brands in our portfolio. So it's been a really gratifying year. I can't say enough about the grit of our team. You know, our values are grit, grow, go. It's all around that stick-to-itiveness, being wired for action and getting things done and cutting through any bureaucracy or risk aversion. And you can really see it showing up in the marketplace. You touched upon the legacy brand, the Tropicana brand. I remember when I was growing up, my parents always had multiple cartons of Tropicana in the fridge. Do you feel that there's been a shift in the consumer preferences over the years? And now some of the consumers are maybe opting for some of your healthier options, like your Naked Brands or your Kombucha Cativa. And how is your, your team addressing some of these evolving consumer habits? Yeah, great question. People are looking for different things. No for, sugar. No low sugar. Low sugar. Yeah, yeah. No sugar. Yeah. Sometimes they don't want nutrition as much as they want hydration or they want energy. And so the beauty of the portfolio we have is it's arrayed against all of those need states and day parts. Now, we still have time to expand them, or not time, opportunity to expand through innovation and package design to be more relevant for on-the-go occasions, different need states and the like. But that's all upside for the brand. So when we look at the, the brand equity scores for Tropicana, they're really, really strong and industry-leading. The growth that we saw in COVID is just an example of when people understand their relevance is still an important brand and part of their nutritional set. Yeah. I love how you touched upon maybe it's just changing either the packaging or the packaging around the narrative in the marketing because, you know, it is so important with the nutrients, the potassium, et cetera. I would like to flip to the other side. What about some changes and insights within innovation within the beverage and the food sector? Are you guys, is your team tapping into some of those trends right now? And can you talk to that outside of the consumer behavior, more on the technologies tech stack? On the tech stack, sure. You know, the, the beauty of becoming an independent company carved out of PepsiCo is that we have no choice but to land our own tech stack. We need to, as part of our TSA, we need to get on our own instance of S4HANA. When you start to do the work of wrangling the data, master data management to stand that up, it creates a really unique opportunity to think through end-to-end, -end, like how should our processes work? How do we digitize and automate and enable them so that we emerge not just with a copy of what we used to have, but with something new and better and enabled by all of this new technology? So we're in early days of doing that, but by building the tech stack, leaning into the cloud, investing in a data lake and a data warehouse, pulling in a huge amount of open source data, but also other tools, models, things like that, 
we can really leapfrog into the future with how we're operating. And so we've, we've stood up some really fantastic analytics that are enabling our teams to learn very quickly about marketplace execution and opportunities, scraping data to see insights, consumer complaints, suggestions, like where can we innovate? We even have our own Tropicana GPT, Trop GPT, yeah. that people can go in, start to type a query. It recognizes based on the traffic and frequency what it is that's going to be helpful and learn so it gets better and better to support the team. I thought we were going to get through the entire conversation without talking about Gen AI, but somehow Sorry. somehow <laughs> it just came up. No, no, no. And I loved how you mentioned you're in the early days and actually earlier than most brands in the migration for SAP as for HANA because getting that enablement from end-to-end -end solutions is so important. Yeah. Um, I'd like to also shed light a little bit about something else. While you're a very successful retail executive, a board member for many companies, you also authored three books called The Archangel Prophecy. Is that correct? I, I have that series and actually have started a new series about the, it's called the Norwood Nanny Chronicles about a nanny school that is actually a cover for an international spy ring. So my fifth book, actually second in that series, my fifth book in total is coming out in March. Amazing. So can, I, can you share maybe how your passion for storytelling has impacted or influenced your career? Sure. Yeah, I see a lot of similarities between the writing that I do for fun and some of the work I do. To me, it's about connecting the dots. Yes. And sometimes you know where you want to end up on a character's journey, just like you might know where you need to land on a strategy, but then you have to figure out how to get there. Yeah. And filling in those dots, checking for logistical feasibility, logical flows, it's all part of the storytelling process. Another similarity I see is it's a trite statement, but a lot of writers face this, like you got to get something down on paper. You can't critique, you can't improve until you put something down on paper. And often just getting it down as a starting point is the hardest step. And so that discipline, to me, it's just the same as you take a stab, like, what's the prototype? Tear apart the prototype, but don't, don't say in inventing mode without getting something created. Because you can always build and improve, test and learn. You can fail cheap and fast if you prototype. Or market test, if you just keep talking about it, you're never going to get anything done. And so I think that's another discipline that I would say is similar. The biggest one is probably you know, PowerPoint doesn't really communicate well. Yes. Storytelling does. Whether you're um, sharing a story with a retailer about your vision for the category or sharing a story with a consumer about the role of a brand in their lives or trying to convince your board of the strategy and why it's going to work so brilliantly. If you can tell the story, you will capture hearts and minds. If you bore them with facts and data, not so much. So in, in Bezos's Mind and Wander, he talks about that. And he talks about how, uh, I think in Amazon, I don't know if they still do it, but initially he had outlawed PowerPoint, to your point, and it was the six-pager. Yep, the, the six memo. Pager. Yeah, yeah, the six-pager memo with the two pizza pie rules. And you're absolutely right. And do you have a discipline where you say, I have to write X number of hours a week or a day? or And does it help you disconnect? Yeah, from it definitely helps me disconnect. I find it gives me a lot of energy and it makes me better at everything else that I do to have yeah. that time for me. It, to me, it started as an antidote to burnout, quite yeah. frankly, like putting something back in my tank. 
I give myself the grace not to have a hard target for number of pages or number of hours because of all of the other balls that I'm juggling. Once I start writing, I'm pretty fast. So because I buy into the get it down on paper and then you can always tear it apart. So, no, I don't really have a target. What I try to do is time my launch, time to market so that anyone who is following a series doesn't kind of lose interest or get frustrated by waiting so long. Okay, very interesting. Well, you you mentioned it's also fun for you. So I'd like, this is the fun part of the interview. So it's been fun all throughout for me, but this is my part where I get into rapid fire questions. Okay. So let's go. Number one, are you an original no pulp or home style some pulp person? Some pulp. Good answer. What book are you currently reading? What's on your bedside table? I'm actually reading The Paradiso or the, I'm actually in the Purgatorio, but I just finished Inferno. Yeah. I'm halfway through Purgatorio and will be finishing Paradiso. Um, very very yeah. nice. Very nice. So Archangel Prophecies, Dark Hope, Dark Rising, Dark Before Dawn. It gets picked up by an OTT streamer. So two-part question. Which platform do you choose and which actor would you want as Hope Carmichael? I will take any platform that wants to option those books. Let me start with that. <laughs> So Ted Serrano, if you're listening, this is where you pick up the book. It, it would play brilliantly. It would. Um, Hope Carmichael. I don't know, because I, when I fan casted it originally, it was a while ago, yeah. and now all of those actresses have aged out. So oh, no. I don't know. I'd have okay. to get back to you on that one. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back then. Living or dead, one person you could have a meal with tonight. My grandparents. Great answer. Great answer. And I'm sure grandpa would be very proud. And the last question for, for someone I believe that most people would think has checked every box on the bucket list. What is the next unchecked box for you? No one's ever asked me that one. An unchecked box. You know, I would have to say I aspire in retirement. I don't ever think I'll be retired. but. When I am at the next stage of my career, what I would aspire to be doing is writing and teaching. Still, still on boards, perhaps, but the teaching part is maybe the unchecked box. Um, I love being in a classroom. I love the discussion that you can foster. And not that I have answers, so like I don't want to say like I'm going to impart wisdom from on the hill. But I'm really excited by the passion I see young people entering the business community, bringing to the table the kinds of questions that they're answering. I think my superpower is people development, which is why the team is one of my proudest things at one year into TBG. So I think that would be something I would like to do on my bucket list. I love that. That's a great answer. That's a great way to complete our, our little conversation together. Congratulations again on a very successful one year at TPG, and hopefully we get to sit down and do this at the end of year two. Excellent. I'll look forward to it. Thanks Thank again, you. Monica. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.